other great historian that's and he has given me great help. He has more history inside in his head, if we could get it out of it, uh, than the whole lot of us put together. And he's so generous with all his talk. That's Brian Howley from Christianora. Brian. So I should begin by welcoming you all here this evening. I've always felt a certain affinity towards Fenor. I'll talk about that later. I have to begin, though, by uh, remembering people who played such a prominent role in the North Clare Historical Society, which does such valuable work in uh, passing on stories in North Clare. And I remember in particular three from Kilfenor, I suppose maybe I'm biased, but I couldn't allow the occasion to pass. It's the first time I've spoken at a meeting like this. And they're Jack Flanagan, uh, Sean Holland, and uh, oh, Griffey, his first name eludes me now for a minute. There's Phil Madigan, he'll come to me. Amnesia setting in. Can I also, also at the outset say Joe's very kind words on the radio today, when he said, all oh, that's in my head to get out. There's a lot of things in my head I would have never let out. <laughs> and he also said that I was very generous. That evoked a response from one member of my family who seemed to take it up wrong. And one wondering if I was so generous, how did I hadn't called over the Christmas to some of the nephews and nieces? Anyway, on a more serious note, when I was first asked by Joe to say a few words on this launch of the revised edition of his book, I felt greatly honoured, even though uh, a little bit humbled and uh, a bit nervous. However, I quickly realised the Kilfenora people are very seldom afraid to express their opinions around the world, and especially in Ennestyman. On a more serious note, I have greatly admired Joe's courage, that's the first word I use, and his persistence in, and his ability indeed in writing the original book, and even more so, the fact that he had the courage in making changes, and significant changes, in the second edition. It is not my intention to go over all the details of this fascinating story. We've had most of them before, and I'm sorry if I may repeat, I'll try not to. But instead you will have to be content with a brief account of perhaps my personal encounter with this tale of love and loss, courage and resilience, intimidation, court cases, conspiracies and alleged conspiracies. There will be references obviously to the Fenor case and especially to the people of Fenor, a community which I said at the beginning I've always felt a great affinity. Back in 1981 when I was undertaking what I might do for a master's degree in education I was handed this book which is the history of the INTO. It's now out of print and has been for many years and a new edition is or a new edition of the history of the INTO June 2018 which is 150 years since the foundation but as I browsed through the pages I was immediately spellbound by the section on security of tenure and especially the INTO version of what happened in Fenor from that fateful day of the 11th of September 1914 when Father Kearns dismissed Michael O'Shea. I still vividly recall sitting in a drafty room in a rat mine flat, they were always drafty, and being transported back to the scenic district of Fenor, with which I was familiar from my youth, 
and your fenor can be drafty too on a windy day as you all know here was the INTO story of a man being sacked from his job because of his love for a local woman who was not a teacher his own efforts and he sought at first to try this on his own to reach uh, some sort of um, redress under the Maynooth Agreement which has been explained to you twice already so I won't repeat it actually it was 1898 was the year it came into force got him nowhere and uh, clearly the agreement was broken and that was essentially one of the INTO's main arguments that this resolution that they had fought so hard to uh, secure because prior to that you could be sacked without any notice whatsoever like as an aside it's sometimes sad to see in our modern society how basic rights of workers are in this day and age being uh, impinged upon I think we can have always lessons to learn from the past and messages from the present because as they say if we don't learn from our history we're destined to repeat it O'Shea got no satisfaction as we know from the Bishop Thomas O'Dea who was Bishop of Galway in Kilmockdoon I emphasise only the apostolic administrator for Kilfenora maybe he should have written to the Pope in the first place who is of course the Bishop of Kilfenora as I love to remind people and this is the first Kilfenora connection and there are a few because Bishop O'Dea was from Ballyganner now we get into trouble straight away because I know Ballyganner is in the parish of Carden but Bishop O'Dea was always in many of the doctrines described as from Kilfenora but I looked up Wikipedia and it gave the worst of both worlds when it said that Bishop O'Dea was from Carden dash Kilfenora uh, I'm not sure which parish would be most insulted Kilfenora or Carden because either crowd are easily insulted anyway as we see off the members of the not clear INTO became interested in his case and this I think we shouldn't minimise the significance of this we're talking here about 1915 only 30 years previously the bishops in Galway or sorry in Connacht had issued an edict that if you joined a union you couldn't get a job also if we only to refer around the same time to what happened in Dublin when people joined the union but the fledgling and it was a fledgling organisation at the time members of the INTO uh, took up the case and in January 1915 the then General Secretary Mr Manfield met Dr O'Dea at Ennis Diamond I'm almost certain but not 100% certain that the INTO members who attended that meeting were Mr O'Neill of Kilchani Mr Ryan of Kilfenora and Mr Lenehan who of course is from the famous Lenehan family of um, his teaching Gotthard and as a little aside I was always interested in the case and of course when I happened to meet Brian Lenehan that's the elder we happened to have our INTO meetings the same evening as the Fianna Fáil meetings so I went up to him one evening and said to him this O'Shea case have you ever heard about it and before I knew it I was surrounded by 30 Fianna Fáil people they gathered them all around him and in typical Brian Lenehan fashion he turned to them and said my 
grandfather took on church and state going back almost 80 years ago that's who the Lenehans are those are the kind of people he led that attack against church and state isn't that right young man and I nodded and I said yes <laughs> right. but in actual fact he certainly did play a prominent role but I would say the main man here was a man called Josie Ryan who taught my father now Josie Ryan came from Limerick a place called Bottomstown oh, there's lots of puns I could make about that but I won't I resist the temptation but an interesting thing about Josie Ryan is that his brother called Veer Ryan and I have a feeling he was called after Veer Foster and I have and I still to research this that the Rhines were a big teaching family from Limerick but his brother taught in Cavan and was actually married to Annie Slattery from the Slatteries of Kilfenora uh, Michael Slattery who knows just as much about local history as I do would be in fact part of those Slatteries they were also the same Slatteries uh, one of the Slatteries who married in, into Kilfenora to Michael Canole but this real fast for it's interesting uh, Frank Ryan's nephew his son was Frank Ryan who fought in the Spanish Civil War I'm sure some of you may have heard of it so, and he used to say that his, his, his radicalism came from his visits to Clare and a point that Joe has hinted upon and indeed one that I would like to follow up some other time but not tonight I don't want to go on too long is the tradition of sort of agitation that was in Clare and maybe we shouldn't be too surprised that the people uh, made a stand against the church now it was unique and it was I haven't found anyone similar in the country specifically on, 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 on education where an alternative school was built which was extraordinary but there was often a saying you know that you take your politics from you take your religion from Rome but your politics from home and I sometimes think we underestimate the extent to which people um, defied uh, the hierarchy especially and I'm especially interested too in what I see is this class divide that is that I believe is underlying this uh, particular agitation that there is a class element involved in this which given a Morocco referred to there but the whole land agitation thing and I happen to be studying something else now and you, if any of you can help me with it I'll be uh, grateful I'm looking at maybe GA connections with the First World War I haven't been getting far there actually but if anybody has any information about clear people in GA who were involved in the First World War I'd be interested but in studying this of course I, I have been looking and finding out lots of information in that period about the extent to which there was land agitation in Clare and it was very strong in Clare and indeed it, 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 it continued after that but I won't go into that but it is part of the tapestry of the story anyway getting back to the meeting in Estimon in, nothing happened out of it but again I think it's highly significant and again I'm agreeing with Peter uh, O'Shea that the Dark Clare investigating it they could not in conscience find a substantial reason for his dismissal 
they could not in conscience find a substantial reason for his dismissal. And I find very hard to believe that the claims of intemperance made against him that they were either grossly exaggerated or had if they had any substance perhaps they had some substance I would say they had mind you as a friend of mine from Kerry when I was trying to explain this story to him and in typical Kerry fashion he cut across me and said what shall he said wasn't she near Liston Van I said yeah as if he didn't get drunk and he live in near Liston Van and, and if he wasn't chasing women what sort of a fellow to all Anyway, what happened next was quite extraordinary and this of course is what you mentioned and I feel it's the only bit I'm going to read about the book and it is the little section in the IDO version of it in which it talks about the response of the parents and I think this is what really it should bear with me the parents rallied to O'Shea they asked him to teach their children his home the official residence and promised him such financial help as they could afford but the parents actually gave financial help and they were poor over 50 of the 80 children in the area now transferred to O'Shea and continued to attend until he was evicted from the residence by the manager a local cottage was then provided for him by the parents and fitted up as a residence for himself and his wife with one large apartment to serve as a schoolroom Frequent denunciations were made from the author against the parents who sent their children to this school and when confirmation came round O'Shea went to Ballyvahan with his pupils but Dr. O'Dea refused to examine or confirm them because he said they were going to an opposition school which had no sanction Afterwards a letter from the bishop was read from the author in which the parents were warned that the sacraments would be withdrawn from them if they continued to disobey their priests and bishop. So the closure had really been taken out at this stage. Um, as I said, when I was reading that, and I had that vision, and Sean, in fact, described it, uh, of this alternative school being built, it, it, it's really uh, struck with me. Staying with the story, as we have heard, eventually the school had to close. Uh, O'Shea got a job with the Gaelic League in Cork. He got the support from the INTO. The bald facts of the Fenor case were printed in the Irish School Weekly. I suppose we're studying something else, but of course I was following it up. And there were two, um, there were three uh, installments of it. Now it was obviously from the teacher's side. Unfortunately, the third installment. I couldn't find why because in actual fact it happened during the 1916 rising and there seems to be something kind of significant about this while the rising was going on in Dublin however I, I have found out that the Congress in Cork had a huge discussion on the O'Shea case in fact it dominated the private session during the public session, interestingly enough, as somebody said about the inspectors and that, there was a lot of criticism of inspectors at the time. So maybe we shouldn't read too much into the inspector's report. And the inspector's report certainly did not stop it from getting a job in Cork subsequently. So, at that Congress, it is significant that the entire organisation decided to continue their support 
Faroche and continue to pay his salary, which they did until such time as he took off. And as I mentioned, they paid £500, which was a lot of money then. And they made up the difference in his pension when he retired. This again has me absolutely convinced that they would not have supported him if he was what he was described in the Diocesan record as a donor. Now I'm not saying that the people who wrote into those records were writing lies. I have yet to see the Diocesan records. But certainly I am this view of Paddy Crayley and I've known Paddy and in fact was certainly nostalgic to, to, to listen to him because I've often heard him sing and dance indeed. Uh, but in many ways I think he cut through the chase in, in, and this is the first time I've heard um, the, um, that particular program or seen it when Congress came to Ennis I um, was asked to write a little bit in the Clare Champion about the history of the INTO and I included a bit on the, on the actual uh, Fenor case mind you what I put in was fairly non-controversial but it led to me meeting the two O'Shea's and um, I met them in the old ground hotel they were quite old at the time quite gracious and they were, seemed glad to meet me and I was certainly glad to meet them now I didn't carry out a formal interview I didn't think it would be fair and yet at the same time I wanted in a sensitive way as far as I could to find out what was their father like and their father was exactly as Brady O'Shea described her to me that uh, when he was in Cork and they knew him that he certainly was uh, a very good father and as she said he never drank but possibly you know when he was younger and wilder uh, that's uh, that whole drink but really my gut reaction if you want my gut reaction was the first charge made against him was inefficiency and then the other thing about women and drink was brought in I don't think he was the first man and he won't be the last in Ireland that accusations about women and drink would be made about but looking down at this audience I think you're all fairly safe from what I can see at this stage unless the accusations have been made already um, so I have met Brian Lenehan I've met the O'Shea's and then one evening in January, for the dreary days, I said, God, I'd love to tape one of the, if I can. So I made contact with um, Nat and Howard, and I'm delighted that his son is here tonight. And I got a very gracious welcome there. And fortunately, I taped Nat and Howard, and I would say to anyone here, as an aside, for God's sake, if you know any older person, would you tape them? But unlike me, would you try not to lose the tape subsequently? I'm still searching for it. Uh, I think Joe is supposed to have a copy of it, and he's searching too. <laughs> but what, we, what I do know, and the very strong sense I got from talking to Martin Howard, who went to the alternative school, and in fact he said it in the book, I, I, I remember it vividly, when I brought up the question of um, drink, he said no, he never saw a problem there, that he was a good teacher, that he was very popular with the parents and everything. And of course I had to throw in, well, there was some talk about women in that. His exact words, I don't recall, but I know what the gist of it was. A good, healthy sign of a man, he said to me. <laughs> Which of course it was. But I'm delighted to uh, that tape, and I'm 
I know it's mentioned in the book. Now, there's a mistake in the date there, Joe, but I blame myself for that, for not correcting you. It wasn't 1973, it was, it was much later, but that's my fault that I didn't correct it. But at least one person from that period, and I'd like to thank the Howards, and I'm delighted that one of them is here this evening, for the gracious welcome I got on that particular evening. Um, Incidentally, when I wrote that article for the Clare Champion, it was about the same time that Brendan O'Hare wrote an article in his Begrudger's Guide to Irish Politics. If any of you can get that book, it's still well worth reading. And Brendan, of course, would have a certain insight into this because his own father uh, was a national teacher, couldn't get a job in the Diocese of Killaloo because he took the anti-treaty side, and that's how he ended up in the Aran Islands. Uh, in fact, the whole story about teachers and the anti-treaty side is another story, but that's for another day. Um, I read recently where Michael D was giving a speech in tribute to Brendan Kennelly, and he mixed up his notes and he threw them aside. And I'm not Michael D, so I better look back at my notes. But it, I won't keep you much longer. Yeah, except to say this much in the INTO book as well, it states that the fact that he got his job in this Moscow and Cork would show that allegations, and allegations are very much in the news nowadays, that unproven allegations of inefficiency or intemperance are not sufficient ground on which to debar a teacher from earning his livelihood in the profession for which he had been educated and trained. So he got a job in the model school. And of course, to a degree, I would somewhat disagree with Declan in the sense that it, it was the state, the new free state, in which he got his job. And why a model school? Because the model school was not under clerical um, control. And that's sometimes how teachers' disputes were solved. There were some other cases like that subsequently and what would happen is they'd get a job those various model schools which are state um, managed not clerically managed but it is clear he would never again have got a job in a, in a Catholic school um, Joe's, first, Joe's first edition in my opinion perhaps relied too much and I hope Joe won't mind me saying this but I know he believes in people expressing an honest opinion on the record, on the diocesan record. And I salute him, though, for the changes that he's made in the revised edition. <coughs> because it, it, it takes uh, courage also to, when you get new information, that you can give more balance, as I see, to the second edition. I also greatly welcome the fact that a reconciliation meeting took place between the O'Shea sisters, who are now both dead, and to Father Robert Lee. Um, Clay O'Shea passed away in 2015. And I think Joe's conclusion, may all their souls, and the souls of all the people involved in the Senor case, rest in peace. I think it was a nice way of finishing the book, Joe. Um, the question of the land education is one that I believe and the whole class area is one that could be looked at again 
the whole thing about the dowry is very, very uh, uh, plausible. Uh, on a lighter note, I believe my father was supposed to have made matches. Never managed to make one for me, mind you, but however. And I never had a parish priest having to worry about me marrying anybody either. But happy will now that I'm retired. But I remember on a lighter note once how two sisters you mentioned. The old story there, but the day of the wedding the wrong sister turned up. My father went up and mentioned to the groom. You know, that's the wrong sister. And he said, I shall do sure. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> In fact, it worked out very well, the marriage. Um, my personal thing about Fenor, well, since I was very young, we've been going to Fenor, and uh, my first public performance singing was in Fenor, which you'd be glad to hear, it was in a private house, but my father was well known there for. He always said you never came back from Fenor without potatoes or apples or something, and the people were very decent. I can almost remember the song, but the reason he was getting me to sing the song was to try and put your man in good humour when he was selling the calf. Uh, I have sang many times since but I'm not so sure if I ever it was to try and put someone in good humour if it is I would only uh, by the way there's a lovely story though about Fenor and I suppose I remember my mother here the Lord of Mercy and of course she's dead too and she told a lovely story about how her favourite place was Fenor in an affair day in Kitfenora I would like to think it was the 9th of October that was the date I was born I thought they'd have another family, but I'm afraid that certainly didn't work out. But it was a tradition that people would come to our house for shelter, really, because they'd be there from four in the morning. And there'd be a big pot of stew, and uh, farmers from various areas would just stay in the house. In fact, they used to even come from the Arden Islands. But this night, three lads from Fenor went up the street, and of course there was music as well at the fairs, as you would expect in Kilfenora. And again, there could be a lot written about that whole story of the fairs. But when, following morning, my mother came up, our three friends from Fenor had disappeared without paying. It wasn't a huge amount, because all they got was shelter in a bowl of stew. My mother said to my father, um, those three lads from Fenor, I think they're gone. But I'm not sure, but I have a feeling they're gone. Of course, the three lads had rambled up the street and it had been known to happen to some of us or maybe all of us that maybe money that was intended for somehow that you fell among uh, the wrong crowd as you described them, Joe. And having heard the music, they skedaddled back to Fenor. Two days later, one of them walked back from Fenor to Kilfenora. My father said, don't worry about that, it was that to on it. One of them walked back from Fenor to Kilfenora and paid his Jews. And that story has always stuck with me. The honesty and the integrity of the poor people, and they weren't rich, to, to, to think that their reputation was so important to them, and, and, and even to walk from there to Kilfenora. I still remember that, and I still remember my mother telling me how the Fenor people were so honest. And Another little twisted, of course, Bishop O'D, I'm sure. It doesn't come out well in this story, but in other respects, uh, I've had he was a good man. 
Father Kearns, and again there's new information coming through on this and I have now a new source card, but obviously I can't I can't uh, reveal it because I've been told to keep it private this is almost as bad as what's happening in the Dáil all these allegations and counter are stories but where in actual fact I've been speaking to somebody who has been told me and I've no reason to disbelieve it in fact I've lots of reason to believe it that Father Cairns interfered with another teacher and sought to make to interfere with their wedding plans so I think it's not as might be suggested in the film that, that a folk tale I believe that there is conclusive proof and you have it in your second version of the proof that Father Cairns did in fact seek to interfere with a person's marriage plans I'm safe enough, I think. <laughs> but uh, anyway, quick time, Shannock living well, yeah, for us. I guess it says, Yenison Bartholomew Conlon Fane. That means I did my deed and my own initiative. I dedicate that to you, Joe, because this totally came from you, your own initiative. And how many people talk about writing books but don't write them? And finally, how about a quote from Seneca, that Roman statesman, philosopher, and dramatist, who was a tutor and later advisor to Nero. Ab honeste, I dedicate this to Joe, ab honeste virum bonum nihil deterret. Nothing deters a good man from doing what honour requires. Joe did what honour required. For that, uh, I think we deserve his thanks. And I cannot either finish the evening without echoing what Sean said there about how important it is to, for these stories to be passed on. And I'm delighted to see Paddy Hines here as well. And uh, there's much more I could say. Achistoilum gul gulora chakum. Pathulgum gulun chistanyavasani. I hope you enjoyed the night. And I hope that the story of Fenor has fascinated you like it has fascinated me for the last 35 years and the story is not fully over yet. Thank you.